it going today, guys? Back here live in the studio once again for an episode of Hot Takes at TP3. Today, Tuesday, October 27th, it's 2020. Um, I'm your host, Thomas Penland, joined once again by none other than Ben Gorwitz. Ben, what's, say what's up to everybody. What's up, everybody? Got World Series tonight. Big slate of games coming this weekend for you. Oh, yeah. It was a great it's a big slate of games coming our way this weekend. You know, this last weekend, too, was a great slate of games. So, I mean, we, we honestly, it was just a great weekend in general. Didn't do much besides sit on my uh, couch. And you know what, Ben? I kind of like to take a responsibility on my back for the Falcons blowing that lead. So I have a Falcons jersey. It's a Deion Jones red jersey. And the Falcons have actually never won a game with it on my body. So, of course, I put it on. And I was like, I was t- talking to all my roommates. And I was like, look, if we want this first overall pick, I'm throwing on the cursed jersey. We're getting the first overall pick. And the whole game when we were winning, they're like, hey, it looks like the jersey's not cursed anymore. I was like, just wait. Just wait. The second Gurley punched that in, I knew the cursed jersey was coming was coming out. It's. Just, I mean, it's it's every week. I mean, you we might as well just start live betting the other team. When the fourth quarter starts. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying, especially seeing these 98% or these 99. We need to wait until the win percentage for the other team gets in, gets 98 or 99, and then that's when we live bet the other team. I mean, honestly, us losing that game this weekend was just kind of funny. I laughed it off after the game was over. I wasn't even mad. What about you? Oh, I'm not mad at this point anymore. I'm just used to it, uh, which is kind of sad. As bad as the Falcons are, they're still not – bottom two bottom three teams in the league because they're teams that they're a team that actually gets a win i think the jets are the obvious worst team in the league i think the cowboys are the second most and i think the most disappointing team is by far the cowboys because we're not expecting much of the jets we know their coach doesn't try to win by the play calls that he, he that dude that dude is so bad at calling i wish plays. he could come call the plays for us um yeah for right now um and then uh, yeah, I think the Cowboys are just so disappointing. Um, they have nothing going for them. Nothing. They don't do a single thing correct. The Falcons at least can get a lead. The Cowboys just traveled to the uh, nation's capital and put up three points. Like, I will say this, though, in their defense. The whole entire team is injured. You know, I know everyone wants to overreact in media and on TV and stuff because it's Dallas and everything. But, but... they still have a good team, though. That receiving core of Gallup, why am I starting with Gallup? But Cooper, Gallup, and uh, CeeDee Lamb mixed in with Zeke mm-hmm. is still is still good on paper. And I thought Andy Dalton was serviceable enough. He's I, no line, he's, though. I get it. He's got no line, but he might have no brain anymore. That hit he took was uh, – yeah. I mean, that dude should be suspended. Like hey, John the, worst, the worst part about it, though, is nobody on the team took up for him. Like, I, like if nobody. that was my quarterback, I would have grabbed him by the face mask and face planted him in the ground after doing that. You know, and, everyone was just kind of like, oh, damn, Andy Dalton's hurt. Like, when can we get out of here so we can go back to the hotel and, and drink or something? And Jerry Jones said something about his team. But he was not happy about it. And, you know, I, I've been listening to, um, like, Ryan Clark and some other NFL or ESPN NFL guys and, I don't know if you blame the culture. Like nothing looks like it's clicked with, since mm-hmm. Mike McCarthy has been there. I don't think anyone trusts each other. Your quarterback can't one can't take that kind of hit. I know that he was outside the pocket running. That dude should be suspended. I mean, if that, I don't know what his reputation's like. I know that he's not like a Vontez Burfett type, um, but that dude should be suspended for at least a game. And you're right. The fact that no Cowboys offensive lineman or player started a fight or came to the rescue of Dalton. I mean, they just sat there and went back to the huddle. Like Amari Cooper was right there, right there in the play. And he didn't even, he didn't try to help him up, which he wasn't getting up. He didn't try to, he didn't even put his arm on his back until the trainers got out there. I mean, like, it's just so sad to see, like it's, I, I, he doesn't deserve that. I mean, he just doesn't deserve that. Andy Dalton, I hope that guy does get suspended though. Yeah, no, see, I, I agree with you completely on all that. And honestly, I was never a fan of the McCarthy era before it even began in Dallas. So if I'm Dallas, I clean house and everything. Do you, before... do you remember Do you remember before we move on, in the offseason, when he was being interviewed, he had, there was like an ESPN special of him. I don't know if you ever saw this. And it was like 
what he was doing in the uh, in during the season when he wasn't a coach. He used to watch a game with like five or six other guys that he wanted to bring on a staff, and they would watch every game on Sunday. And they would write things down, come up with plays, and it all sounded good to me. I'm like, he knows the exact type of job he wants. He knows the exact type of staff mm-hmm. he wants to bring in. I don't know how many of those guys that he used to watch the games with are on his staff now, but it ain't working. Whatever he has on his staff is not working, and it starts with him. So, Yeah, see, I agree with you completely, and I was always very much against him the entire time he was in uh, Green Bay. I always thought he was the one holding the Packers back. I'll say this. At least Dan Quinn bought us ta- enough time that we didn't have time to make the mistake of hiring Mike McCarthy, so at least Dan Quinn was able to do that for us. I think that this last question I'm going to ask you before we actually jump into the content here is the perfect segue for us here. What was the best game you watched this last weekend of all sports? Oh, it has to be that World Series game. I mean, it ha- that is crazy what just happened. First of all, the platform it's on, the World Series game is always going to be bigger than what happens in a regular season football game. Facts. And that game from the sixth inning, I think there was four or five lead changes, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's just the way that the lead changes happen. It's the way that the Rays won the game. Uh, the error by Chris Taylor, who is not really a center fielder. He was like the second or third center fielder that played that day, I believe. Yeah. The error, and then he gets it into Muncie, and they still have a chance to get Randy uh, Rosarena out at home because he got sniped around third base. He falls, and all of a sudden, Max Muncie can't – I mean, okay, so should the catcher catch it? Probably, but – it is harder to catch a ball with the with a catcher's mitt than it is any other glove because the webbing is a little bit tighter, mm-hmm. a little bit not as open. And the ball from Muncie was on the wrong side of the plate. So should the catcher have caught it? Sure. But Muncie could have made a better throw. I think the entire play was rushed. But I'm, I'm, I'm down to getting into uh, talking about this World Series right now. Yeah, see, you were on the same page I was. That was by far the best game I saw all weekend. And, you know, let's talk more about this game. Honestly, this is one of the craziest games I've ever seen. Honestly, probably one of the craziest games I've ever seen. So in that sixth inning, you're right. That was when the Rays put up the three-piece and took the lead for the first time in that game. And honestly, I was sitting there kind of, you know, I've got my three TV set up, sitting there watching college football, and I was like, when do I actually turn the World Series on for good? All these games are starting to get a little out of hand in college football. And I luckily turned it on right there in the sixth inning. But honestly, you know, if I'm the Dodgers, I think this might be my last season I ride out with Kenley Jansen. Kenley Jansen scared me a lot. I mean, they had to pull him in one of those games against San Diego. He he blew the game for him here in this game. And, you know, I also think, too, how are you, How can you throw Randy Rosarino a strike when he comes up to the plate for the rest of this series? I mean, I thought he was decent in the regular season, but, like, I really didn't think he was like this or how he's been in the playoffs. Like, I kind of knew who he was when he was up there within the regular season, but, like, when did this happen? This guy is impossible to get out. I mean, even his foul balls he was hitting on Sunday night were home runs, you know? Like, it feels like every single time he swings the bat, it's either going over the fence or he's getting on base. Yeah, they can't figure I – mean, no one's really been able to figure him, figure him out this postseason. It's not just the Dodgers. But I agree with you on the Jansen front. Um, I think – he would be, you know, if you want to pitch him, I think the seventh or eighth inning would be a little bit mm-hmm. better. Um, but here's the thing. Like, not every team has the luxury of what the Dodgers have. The Dodgers have, like, three or four guys, maybe even four or five guys, that could close out a game and be just fine. You could throw Joe Kelly back there. You could throw uh, the Grant – I don't know how to pronounce Gratterall, his name. But I think it's Gratterall. Um, that guy is hilarious to watch on the mound. Um, his his celebration every single time he gets out of the inning is cracks me up. And honestly, too, I I personally would use him as the closer. He throws heat. Yeah, I mean, he throws hard. And really, Jansen really only throws one pitch nowadays. He's really, it really, he only really throws the cutter. And it's at 91, 92 miles per hour. It's got a lot of movement still, but if you're only throwing one pitch, you know, these are professional hitters. They're, they're going to adjust. And I get that usually he's only going to be facing three to four batters, but one pitch, these guys are too good. I mean, in his last outing, um, he had Randy come up to the plate, and it was a 3-2 count, and the ball was like 40-foot. It was like a 40-foot pitch. Like, it just – it wasn't a competitive pitch. Mm-hmm. He walks, and then, you know, Brett Phillips, who was a pinch hitter, which is so crazy – comes up and just saves the day. But that's the thing. You can't give these teams just extra chances. He had two strikes on Randy Rosarena. 
got it to 3-2 then throws a non-competitive pitch. I know he didn't mean to, but that's the way it worked out. And I think the key to tonight's game is it, it's the same as the, um, the, the Dodgers-Braves series, I said. Which pitchers can finish counts better? Mookie Betts in the in his first um, at bat of the game is almost always in a two strike count, and he almost always gets it to three two. You can't do that because if you walk Mookie, then you get Seager. You just can't have these guys on base because a solo home run is not going to hurt you in this series. A one run lead has been proven to not really be safe in this series early in the game. Mm-hmm. Mookie gets on a two run home in the first inning. Okay, now it's it's must win for the Rays. If Snell gives up early runs. His leash is going to be short. That bullpen's had to work a decent amount. The more the Dodgers see you, the better they are. This might be one of the best one through nine lineups we've we've seen in, in my lifetime, at least. Every hitter in one through nine puts to bed, puts together a competitive bet. If they're I mean they're fouling off pitches, they crush the mistakes. That's what they did in the Braves series. That's what they've continued to do. It's it's so crazy. There has been nine different batters for the Dodgers in this series that have hit a home run. Jeez. That is absurd. It doesn't matter who's on the mound in this Rays bullpen because it's happened late in games. The Dodgers are hitting. So it starts with Snell tonight. He's starting. They need him to go deep in the game like his last start. Last start, he was very good. His That was the first time he had gone six innings in the postseason uh, last start. He had not done it before. They need him to at least go five again. He needs to throw strikes early, and he needs to – keep his walks down, and he needs to finish counts because if you let these Dodgers hitters stay around and keep fouling up these pitches, he's not going to last long. And the Rays need him to last long. No, I agree with you completely on everything you said there, Ben. Um, the craziest thing, though, about Phillips hitting that walk-off is, you know, when Rosarina came to the plate, I actually said, I was like, shoot, I'll go ahead and put him on base. I wouldn't even throw a pitch here. Just go ahead and let him get on base and then make Phillips beat you. You know, he's arguably probably the worst hitter on the entire race team, and he was only in there because they went all in a couple innings ago and used him as a he pitch, pitch runner. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that's the way the game ended, I mean, that's just baseball for you. But, no, I mean, like you said about the Dodgers, man, I mean, it says it all when you have a guy as good as A.J. Pollock hitting seventh in your order. I think that says enough about how good that hitting is. But, yeah, it's all about throwing strikes. You know, the Dodgers, the thing is you can't really make mistakes. And it's really frustrating, too, for me as a Braves fan watching some of these games because the Dodgers have looked sloppy in the field these last two games. And it felt like that we were the ones who, you know, couldn't make the mistakes and were making them against the Dodgers. And they were pretty much playing perfect games against us. And it just feels like that it's been the exact opposite here is it's been the Rays taking advantage of their mistakes. You know, they don't make many of them, so you have to capitalize, and Tampa's been very opportunistic. I'll say this, too, about the World Series, and my favorite part about it is you can say what you want to, but I think we 150% got the two best teams in baseball, and you could say, yeah, they're yeah. the number one seeds. Well, a lot of people were saying the Yankees, the Astros, all these other teams are better than the AL. Tampa Bay clearly is the best team, and the craziest part about it, too, is their, is their payroll is lower than Jose Altuve's contract was this year. That's the payroll for their, yeah. That's the payroll though for their for their like position players. They're making less that, money than Altuve. Crazy. That's what they that's what they do. When you're a low market, uh, small market ball club, you have to build through the draft. You have to get some trades, and you and you have to rely on your scouts and player development system to get you to the next level. The Rays have done that better than anyone, and it's probably not even close in baseball. To be honest with you, it's mm-hmm. incredible the turnaround that they have had. Not that long ago. They were the worst team in baseball for years and years at a time, just like the Astros were, just like the Astros. The Astros drafted well, and they have more money to work with than Tampa Bay does, so they could get you know, the Garrett Coles, the Verlanders, and that pushed them to the next level. The Rays, Snell's been there forever. Glasnow had gotten a trade, and Charlie Morton, I believe, was a free agent pickup, and that's one of the better uh, – pitching staffs in baseball just those three so the Rays have done a tremendous job with their scouts their player development and I think Kevin Cash deserves a, a ton of credit a ton I hope the Rays win tonight because I don't want baseball to end when you watch good baseball I, I hope it lasts forever I know that it can't last forever I'm hoping for a game seven but I think well actually I do so Goslin is pitching before I say what think, I think is going to happen, Goslin's pitching tonight, and it's going to be interesting. So the last time he pitched, he only went one inning. 
So I, I think the Dodgers' plan is to have him go further today. But I, I mean, I have no idea. I haven't mm-hmm. read anything or seen anything. Same. What the plan is for him? He didn't pitch that bad in in the uh, one inning he pitched. Mm-hmm. So I, I I do think the Dodgers close it out tonight. Um, I think I just think this lineup is too good. I think you have to keep Mookie Betts off base. Absolutely. In order to beat this Dodgers team. Because when he's on, he just, I mean, he steals every base, it seems like. And even just when he's on base, it, you know, it just puts more pressure when you have guys on base with speed to throw strikes. And you make one small mistake to these hitters, and it's it's crazy what this lineup can do. I mean, well, I mean, what do you think? I, I think the Dodgers closing out tonight. Yeah, I took the Dodgers to win tonight, so I think they're going to close it out tonight as well. I agree with you. Look, I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game, but I just think ultimately the Dodgers smell blood in the water here, and they're going to come out and get it done. You know, they've had the day off. I feel like the the Dodgers are going to be locked in and loaded and ready to get this game out. I mean, they've already seen snow once this series. You know, I think that I just think the Dodgers know it's time. I mean, I don't think they were had us. Yeah, they were losing to the Astros pretty much the whole series when they played them a couple years ago in the World Series. So. I feel like the Dodgers, you know, this is what they've been waiting for all season long, and I think they smell blood in the water. The big question is, obviously, I'm not speculating here that the Dodgers have completely won, but we both know if Tampa Bay wins that a Rose Arena, hands down, is going to win MVP. Who's going to win MVP for the Dodgers if they win this World Series tonight? It's it's a tough question. I I think it's a three team ra- uh, three person race. Okay. I think it's I think it's Justin Turner, Corey Seager, and Clayton Kershaw. Read my mind. I- I think it goes to Corey Seager. Um, I know that it shouldn't have an effect, and I know it doesn't have an effect, the fact that he won the MVP in the last series. But I think I think in people's minds, it's, it's the fact that he's just been the MVP for the Dodgers the entire postseason. His hitting has been off the charts. I mean, at one point in yesterday's game, he was hitting 500 in the post uh, – excuse me, in the World Series. He was 7 of – his, four, his first 14 at-bats, he was 7-14. He's made some nice plays in the field. Turner's made some nice plays in the field. Seager has, I think, two home runs, if not three. He's got four RBIs, I believe. I think Kershaw, you can make a case for it. He's had two very good starts. Um, but I do think it goes to Seager. But I do want to say this. If the Dodgers win the World Series, not only – I mean, Clayton Kershaw, we, we obviously know he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I I think his record is completely clean. I, I, I think agree. what he I think what he's done. I don't think it's fair to bring up any past struggle that he's had in the postseason. I don't think it matters. All he's all he's missing in an accolade, and it doesn't matter because he's the first ballot Hall of Famer, is a World Series. That's it. He's got Cy Youngs. He's got he's he's way up there in the all time win list for lefties. He, he's just done everything in his career. Except for the World Series, um, me, I mean, I, I'm a lefty, played baseball. I admire lefties. He's been someone that I have just thoroughly enjoyed to watch his career. I mean, it's just truly a blessing to watch him take the mound every five days, really every like four days in the postseason. But that's a player that deserves a World Series ring. He just does. I think he play, he plays plays the game the right way. He's always worked hard. He's had battle injuries. He's won a ton of games for the Dodgers. I, you can make a case for him to win MVP, but I do think the hitter uh, gets the advantage playing every day, and I think he goes to Seager. Yeah, see, unfortunately, I'm going to have to agree with you. I mean, Justin Turner, his only problem is he had two games where he no-showed, although he has does have three games where he just absolutely went off and you couldn't even but get him out. He's played some tremendous defense. Oh, yeah. Some huge, probably some of the biggest plays in the whole series. Like what was that one where he like fell over and threw him? You know what I'm talking he about. Th- he had that one, and he had the one where he, he the ball was hit so hard he couldn't get his body in front of it, so he just kind of picked at it, scooped it like a first baseman, yeah. turned a double play. That was a big double play in the game. So, um, yeah, I, I, you're right. I mean, I think Turner last game went 0 for four, and mm-hmm. Seager did not. So. There's an yeah, advantage. Se- yeah, Seager's bat hasn't cooled off at all this playoffs. I mean, Seager probably made himself one of those 300, close to it, or if not one of those $300 million guys based off the way he's played in this postseason. 
Um, you know, if I think if Kershaw gets one more shot, though, at, at throwing the ball, that you got to give him the MVP if he's able to win the World Series. You know, like he's he's so he's pitched eleven point two innings. He's two and zero. He's given up seven hits. He's given up uh, three three runs. Three all three of them were earned. Only three walks. 14 strikeouts. I mean, it just goes on and on how dominant he's been in this World Series. The Rays haven't even dreamed of touching him. I mean, if it goes to Game 7, I think we'll see him at some point in that Game 7 to come out there and pitch. And, you know, that's cr- probably his legacy on the line right there if he's to go back out there and pitch. But A little Bumgarner, I, like Madison Bumgarner did? No, that's – yeah, ex- Not yeah, quite, that, but, you know, pretty similar. I mean, honestly, I think it is pretty much the same thing if he goes out there and does it. And I think that he can wipe all the wrong out of his legacy if he's able to do that. But even if he gets the ring here, I, you know, honestly, I hope Kershaw gets the ring here for all the reasons he said. He deserves it, man. It's been one of the best players in baseball, and I want to see him remembered as that, not as the guy who chokes. No one ever wants to see someone go down like that. I mean, I I would have to ask someone that's watched, you know, that's older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and is but I'm very curious when his career is all said and done. Where does he rank among lefties of all time? And I'm not including, don't include like Lefty Glove and, and the guys way back then. But I'm just saying, like, you know, let's just say from the 70s or 80s, maybe probably 80s and on, mm-hmm. he's got to be top five lefties of all time that's ever pitched, don't you think? No, I absolutely, I completely agree with you. I mean, I. I would argue just because Clemens cheated, he's probably the best pitcher I've ever seen pick up a baseball. So that's how that's how damn good he's been in his entire career. There's a lot. There, there's a lot of pitches that we've seen that can that challenge Kershaw though. But lefties, in terms of lefties, I mean the best lefties you and I have seen. I mean I don't want to count Glavin, obviously, but CC Sabathia and and uh, Kershaw maybe. Yeah, I mean, I'd say, say that's off pretty the, That's point. off the top of my head. I'd I did watch a good research. bit of Glavin, but I would probably take Sabathia and Kershaw still over Glavin. Just, barely. just because, you know, Glavin wasn't even always the number one pitcher in his rotation. So that's like that's one thing, you know, you kind of got to hold against him a little bit as much as I hate to. But it's going to be a great game to watch tonight. Maybe we'll get a game seven. We'll see what happens, guys. But let's move on now to, honestly, one of the best weeks of the NFL I can remember watching in a long time. The one o'clock hour was great. Four o'clock hour, not so much, but Sunday night football was amazing. You know, Ben, we're finally seeing these teams and the MVP talk and everything start to sort itself out as we're now seven weeks deep into the NFL season. I mean, let's let's break it down here, man. I mean, first off, that Sunday night game, are you on the same boat as me? Is that someone who was probably the front runner for MVP hit a little, uh, you know, hit a little snag in his step and yeah. we watched another guy kind of emerge? Yeah, um, Russell Wilson, I thought was the clear front runner. I don't think so anymore. Through three interceptions in that game, he just one was by the goal line again. Something about the goal line with Russell Wilson. Um, <laughs> he still haunts him from the Super Bowl. I it seems like it, doesn't it? Um, that was a crazy game. It, it seems like every game Seattle plays in is just crazy this year. I I don't think he's the clear front runner, but I I do think Russell Wilson would still get my vote um, if my vote Same. mattered for the MVP for right now. There's still a long way to go, though. Mm -hmm. Um, Who else do you kind of see in it? Yeah, so, you know, I was telling everybody, I just want to throw this back in there. I told everybody, pump the brakes. Let's not annoy him yet. It was kind of funny, honestly, just being on Twitter during that game. For the entire, like, first half of that game, really, until he threw that first interception, all I saw was Russell Wilson MVP, Russell Wilson MVP, Russell Wilson MVP. Everybody kind of got a little quiet as the game went on, but... Honestly, I think Kyler Murray still got some work to do. I think he's going to have to win that division in order to get it over Russell Wilson. I personally think that there's there's really two other guys. Aaron Rodgers being of how good the Packers played, but honestly, the guy who really emerged, especially after this week, is Tom Brady. I think Brady's going to have a good chance at it because you can look at it and say, you know, Brady came into Tampa Bay as a, a he's first off, he's 40 freaking years old, 43 actually, and he came into Tampa Bay, and, you know, it's a tough season to adjust to being on a new team with COVID and everything, but Brady looks like he hasn't missed a step. And, I mean, I, I want to talk about Brady and the Bucks in general. Does this Bucks team not look like the best team in the NFL right now, besides probably Kansas City? I still think Pittsburgh is slightly better than them. Wow. Um, I, I do, because I think Pittsburgh's defense, just like the Bucks, is um, kind of where that strength is. And I, I, I mean, Pittsburgh hasn't lost yet. I mean, they're mm-hmm. six and zero. They they just beat. I mean, I'm looking at their wins. Their wins aren't 
they're not all great. I mean, so their first three wins were the Giants, Denver, and Houston. None of those are great wins, and, you know, they were all pretty close. They beat Philly, not a great win. They smoked Cleveland. I'm going to consider that a good win, actually. Because when, but when Cleveland played them, they were they were rolling, and they still had OBJ. Then they just beat the Titans. I don't think you can count the Steelers out yet. I, they're number one in the NFL power rankings right now. I think they deserve to be number one. I have the Bucks at number three. Um, but it's it's very close between the three of them. I don't think you can put anyone above an undefeated team right now. I, the Steelers haven't shown anything to me why anyone should be above them, to be honest with you. They're scoring – excuse me, they're scoring very well. I love their weapons outside. Even when Chase Claypool doesn't have a good game, they still score so many points because they just have guys, Juju, who's usually going to show up. Is it Deontay Johnson? Is that his his first name? That dude just, I mean, he's he's been there, and he just emerged. I think he just had a career week. Chase Claypool did nothing. And that defense has really shut down a lot of almost every quarterback they've played so far. I think that defense can carry them. I, I don't see that defense folding at any point so far, um, but I do have the Chiefs second because of Mahomes, and I do think the Bucks and Brady, uh, or excuse me, the Chiefs second. I think the Bucks are third, but I do think the NFC. I think the Bucks are separating themselves a little bit from. I, I think Seattle, as good as their offense is. No defense. Their defense, their defense is, and I, you know, I've been saying I think when Jamal Adams gets back, it it improves, and obviously it's going to improve. He's a stud. I don't know if it improves enough for them to win a Super Bowl. That pass rush is non-existent. And Green See, I Bay, like the, I, I, I feel still like that don't de- like. Yeah, well, I feel like that defense, like we saw on a Sunday night, that that's kind of going to be their, like you said, you know, their Achilles heel all season. Obviously, I think they're going to get pretty active here at the trade deadline and try to make a couple moves to bring in a pass rusher because you know they chose not to pay Clowney and. I mean, yeah, you did bring in Jamal Adams, and you were using him as your pass rusher, but, I mean, I don't think if they had Jamal Adams, that game would have gone any differently than it did on Sunday night. You know, I think that bad defense will really, really come back to hurt them. See, I feel like the the AFC, you know, like Pittsburgh, Kansas City, I see, I just can't put Baltimore in that category until I actually see them beat someone. But, like, Pittsburgh, like you said, you know, Chase Claypool had five touchdowns the last two weeks, and he had, like, one catch for two yards last this last week. Like, how many teams in the NFL can win a game without someone who had five touchdowns in two weeks, like and, doing absolutely nothing? Like it's like Pittsburgh. And not has, only that, not only that, Pittsburgh turned the ball over three times this past week. Yeah, and been, still won the football game. Mm-hmm. But how also, many teams too, you know like to lose the turnover margin that bad and still be able to win a football game. Obviously, Gostowski helped with that, but still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, also, too, I think Tennessee got back in that game because Pittsburgh was just playing conservative defense. Like, realistically, Tennessee had, like, two drives on them the whole game. All their scores pretty much were, like, a long A.J. Brown cat. You know, like, they were just big plays. They weren't really putting these drives together on them. And, you know, honestly, as impressive as Pittsburgh's been, I still feel like Kansas City's the same team they were last year. You know, last season, we watched Kansas City all season long, and we were like, wow, did we overrate this team? It really wasn't until that Week 17 victory in New England lost when Kansas City got that first round by that I was back to being all-in on Kansas City winning the Super Bowl. You know, that was obviously my preseason prediction, but that was the first time that I was back to being all-in on them. And, you know, it's kind of the same thing with people saying Russell Wilson ran away with this MVP talk. It's all about who's playing well at the end of the season, you know, and figuring things out. See, one thing for Seattle is their defense can't play much worse than it has already, so their defense is a chance to figure it out. Also, though, too... Seattle's been so fortunate to win all these close games. I really just feel like that it's going to catch up to them eventually. No matter how good Russell Wilson is and no matter how much he can bail you out, you can't keep winning every single close game in a row. Eventually, there's going to be some tough breaks that don't go your well at the end of the, way, at the, end of the game. But honestly, the reason I'm so big on Tampa Bay is not because of Tom Brady. It's because of that freaking defense, man. I mean, that great. Defense, that's the best defense in the entire NFL. And Dominican Sue looks motivated again. They got a secondary that flies around and makes plays. That linebacking core is not to be messed with with Levante David and Devin White. I mean, I think Tampa Bay's defense and their offense, they have the two best like combinations of two top units in the entire league. I mean, Brady threw five freaking touchdowns. Oakland obviously has no defense, but... I think the turning point in their season actually was Brady freaking out on those offensive linemen when they kept jumping off sides. You remember that when he threw his helmet yeah. and got in their faces and everybody was bashing him? I feel like since that moment, Tampa Bay's really turned everything around. I feel like that was when they're like, 
whoa, we're playing with Tom Brady, not Jameis Winston. Like, we got to be better than this. You know, I feel like that he set the tone that they're not going to settle for any of that any of that stuff, and they're going to turn things around because they were the most penalized team in the NFL going into that week. Now they've turned things around since that game. Yeah, and, you know, the defense, I don't think it shocks a lot of people who follow the NFL um, pretty heavy because their, their defensive coordinator is Todd Bowles. I mean, that is a name. Before he became the Jets head coach was known to be a top – three, maybe the best defensive coordinator in football. Um, and when he was head coach with the Jets, the Jets have, have usually had a pretty good defense. They're just Their defense just happens to be on the field for 90% of the game. So Todd Bowles does a very good job at disguising his blitzes. I, they're getting after the quarterback. I like what I've seen from Sue and Dom Kong Sue. The Vita Vea injury has not hurt them to this date. Um and, and that's something that you that you mentioned a lot. That's mm-hmm. a big player to be missing, but it doesn't seem to be hurting them. Um, see, I, back to Seattle just real quick. I thought when I first heard that they were in the sweet stakes for A.B., Antonio Brown, I thought it was a no-brainer that they were just going to go the strategy of, hey, we're going to outscore everybody. Because do they need a receiver? Absolutely not. They have three very good receivers. I, I think Moore as a third receiver is very good. I mean, how many teams' third receivers, like, have much of an impact like he does. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's good. Tyler Lockett and Russell Wilson have the best connection, maybe not the best connection in football, but probably on third down. Him and Lockett and in the scramble drill, they're the best. I don't, they're the best at the scramble drill. He's Absolutely. always open. And then you had DK Metcalf, who's just a physical freak and a phenomenal player. Um, so that's why I thought they were going after AB. Obviously, Tom Brady um, is you know, the greatest salesman. I mean, you can't have a better pitch than what Tom Brady can pitch to you. I think there, I think they had some good, like, you know, the small time period that AB was in um, New England with Brady. I think there was no signs of them not getting along. There was no signs of locker room stuff. I mean, I, I, I think, I think as long as AB has the right attitude coming in, you know, I'm just going to put my keep my head down and I'm just going to play football. I think he can be successful. I'm not going to predict he can be successful because the dude's a clown at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm an A.B. fan. But, but I, do, I do think Brady and Bruce Arians is a good quarterback-coach combo. They're very – both of those guys, and so is Bill Belichick, they're very straight to the point. They're going to tell you how you feel. If you piss them off, they're going to – Bruce Arians has come after Tom Brady a couple times this year. When Brady wasn't playing well, he goes, yeah, I need my quarterback to play better. If A.B., I mean, if he's a distraction in the locker room, I think Bruce Arians will have no problem getting rid of him in a blink of an eye. I think A.B. knows that. Yeah, Bruce Arians was already quoted saying that, basically. He said, we're having zero tolerance down here. He said it's strictly business, strictly football, none of that extracurricular stuff, which, honestly, I feel like the Raiders too much, you know, like even we saw it. I don't know if you do watch Hard Knocks at all. I do every once in a while. I do. I did that here because of John Gruden. Yeah, yeah. You can't miss. Gruden was hilarious. But I, you remember, though, they were kind of like, they were asking Gruden Mayock. They are like, yeah, you know, he's got to figure out his helmet. We'll let him do his th-. It was kind of like they more so just like let Antonio Brown do Antonio Brown, and they figured that he would show up on Sundays and play. But that didn't work out at all. I mean, he tried to fight Mayock, you know. And, like, I feel like that Tampa Bay is more so like, look, you want another chance, we're going to give you another chance, we're going to get you a ring, we're going to fix everything for you, but if you act like a dumbass, you can go ahead and hike on out of here and you'll never see the NFL ever again. Like, this is your last opportunity. And so, you know, I honestly, especially too with the Chris Godwin finger surgery, I feel like they just kind of said, you know, like, what, like whatever, let's go ahead and get this done for Godwin so we can get him back later. We got Antonio Brown coming in to help here. And also, too, you know, Mike Evans hasn't been that good, but from the beginning of the season, I said I didn't think Evans would be that great on ta- with with Brady just because, you know, Brady's more of a throw-underneath guy now that he's a little bit older. I mean, not saying that he has a noodle arm like Drew Brees. His pass still got good zip on it, but, you know, Evans was more so like with Jameis. Jameis would just chuck the ball up there in traffic, and Evans would go up there and get it. Same thing with Manziel, too, when they were at Texas A&M. It's just throw it up, I'll go get it. But also, too, um, you know, I really did think Vita Veo would go now would be huge, but the Bucks did end up trading for Steve McClendon, I believe. I don't know how much he played against that Raiders game. I can't lie at the 4 o'clock games again. I did my patented uh, about halftime uh, slumber where you wake up and the games are about <laughs> over. So <laughs> I can't tell you if he I do had think, much of an impact. I think an underrated part um, of AB signing to the Bucks is you just – you don't know – I mean – 
you could, in a blink of an eye, um, someone could go on the COVID list. Mm. And the fact that you can replace them with a talent of AB is better than anyone else can do. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's an underrated part. Um, do they need it? Do they need a receiver? No, but you just never know who's going to go down. So um, I think it's a, I think it's worth a chance, but he's on a short leash. No, absolutely. And I want to see Antonio Brown succeed. He was one of my favorite players in the league back when he played on Pittsburgh. And I think it's more exciting when you have the best players out there running around on NFL Sunday. So I hope the best to A.B. and I hope he fits in down there. All I can say is I hope he balls out and gets a big contract so he's out of there and the division becomes easier for the Falcons when we're actually relevant again next year. Anyway, before we move on to college football, I think it's high time we talk about these rookie QBs, man. We got Tua, who's going to be making his um, NFL debut on Sunday. I mean, I don't really consider last game his debut since he's barely His starting debut. Yeah, his starting debut. Um, I'm going to be the first person to say this, too. I'm not going to lie. I guess Oregon, my new theory has to be that Oregon underutilized Justin Herbert because, I mean, I was wrong, but where the hell was this when he was in college? I mean, Herbert looks like a freak out there. But basically what I'm getting to is, I mean, I think the NFL rookie or offensive rookie of the year awards become down to two guys pretty much here, and that's Burrow and Herbert. I mean, what do you think mm-hmm. about, about what you've seen out of these guys so far? I, I mean, you just can't help but smile what these guys are doing. I'll start with uh, Herbert. So, coming into the league, you know, obviously, you see his size. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a physical specimen at the quarterback position. We knew that he could run a little bit because he showed that at Oregon. So you knew that part was there. Yeah. You, we also knew, um, and that this man is insanely intelligent. Graduated with over, I believe, over a four zero from Oregon. And that's that's an underrated part of a quarterback. I mean, yeah. I, I think that helps pick up a playbook and schemes. I think you can learn a lot faster than some other rookie quarterbacks. Um, I think it I actually think it benefited him the fact that he did not start week one. Get the nerves a little calmed down, get used to a locker room, get used to uh, how the NFL works on game day. It, it's it's much faster. So the fact that he could watch a little bit, I mean Physically and talent-wise, it's all there for him. And I think you have no choice but to say that his future is looking pretty bright in uh, for the Los Angeles Chargers. Let's go to Burrow. Burrow, obviously, I mean, he's not winning a lot of games, but neither is Herbert. But they're, both these quarterbacks are in almost every game they play. Mm-hmm. The future is so bright for Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. I am buying all the stock into it. I don't think they're very far. I don't think they're far from competing. I know that their division is really, really tough. The Browns are clearly getting better. I know that OBJ is not going to be out for the year, but they figured out a defense, and I think the Browns have found a head coach that can get them um, successful for consecutive years. The Steelers, as long as Big Ben is there, and uh, is going to be successful, and then the Ravens. I think this is turning into a. I think this could turn into a division. Like the NFC West. I think you're going to have every team be, be competitive. I really like what the Bengals are doing. Their receivers, first of all, rookie receiver T. Higgins has also been outstanding. You have A.J. Green, who wins healthy, is is very, um, is they're still very trade good. I him, honestly, at this deadline. They might. They might. But I think, if, I think if the Bengals can continue to build through the draft and maybe get a good free agent to come in to help Burrow a little bit, I think his future is so bright. I'm buying everything that I've seen from Joe Burrow right now. He's running. He's not scared to run. They've called that um, quarterback draw play up the middle almost every single week so far. He's not scared to make the mistake throwing the ball. He's very accurate, which we knew from LSU. And I think him being a little bit older than the average rookie quarterback age has also helped them. I've talked about that a lot. I think he's. I, I think he understands schemes better than most rookie quarterbacks have. Mm-hmm. He he's putting the ball in the right place. He's tough-minded, and he's the type of guy he is not afraid to yell at his offensive line. There was a play where his offensive lineman kind of fell backwards a little bit, yeah. Um, and it was a false start, and it was like a third and short, and it became a third and like medium. And he was yelling at the guy. And listen, your quarterback is your leader. He's obviously the franchise quarterback. I love to see that. I don't think I you know I don't think he has to earn his right or whatever people say. 
He's the leader of this football team. It starts with him. I, I love to see him getting in people's faces. It's going to make people better at the end of the day. He's a winner. That's what he's done for most of his life. He's won ball games. I think he had a quote when he was like in when he first got drafted. Like he he just hasn't lost much. He hates losing, and I think it shows in the way he plays. He's tough minded and he's very talented. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. He gets knocked down all the time, but he doesn't even phase him in these games. He just keeps getting he back always up gets throwing. Up. Yeah, always does. Obviously, I know their teams have been losing a little bit, so the stats skewed a little bit. But these guys, just if you do passing yards by average pass yards per game, these guys are both in the top five in the league right now between Herbert and Burrow. And like you said, I think these guys really are the future QBs of the league. They're huge. They can stand in the pocket. But, I mean, if you drop everyone to coverage, they're just going to take off and run on you. And, you know, that's kind of the difference between these older group of QBs and the newer. You know, you look at Matt Ryan and Matthew Stafford, for example. You know, they'll sit back there in the pocket and pick you apart. I mean, but they can't really do the damage. I mean, yeah, they can pick up five, six yards with their legs. but They can't pick up 10 to 15 with these guys. And these guys can run away from the defensive backs, too, and get out of bounds. I mean, these guys are next-level athletes. Um, I'm not going to lie, though. I personally think Herbert's going to run away with this Rookie of the Year award here. I think the Chargers, he's the better team, the better defense, and everything here. I think everything's better suited for him, but... I'm blown away, honestly, by what I've seen from Justin Herbert in the NFL. I really just think that that Oregon football team is underutilizing. And now I really think, honestly, since they lost Chip Kelly, they've never been able to get back to what they were. And that was just more so us all having wishful thinking and seeing they had a highly recruited quarterback in there, you know, because there was times where Herbert looked lost out there throwing the ball when he was in Oregon, especially, like, I think back to that Arizona State game where he threw three interceptions and they got upset last year. But at the same time, when I watch him play in the NFL – I mean, he looks, like you said, cool, calm, and collected in there. And I just feel like that everything's been going his way. I mean, he has a big arm. He's making all kinds of plays. And it's the same thing with Burrow, too. Burrow doesn't get phased at all in these games. I mean, he's been getting popped in these games. And he just keeps on getting back up, back up. Like you said, you know, Bengals are probably an offensive lineman or two away from competing next season. So these young quarterbacks, man, have been fantastic to watch. Well, Jonah Williams uh, has not been able to stay healthy in his two years so far for Cincinnati. He missed his entire first year. I think he got hurt before the season started. Um, and then he just got hurt again uh, this past week. So, I mean, they drafted him pretty early from Alabama. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. Speaking of Alabama, though, let's talk about the lefty. Let's talk about Tua a little bit. I think he has some pressure on him. I think he's got more pressure than the other two do. Really? Because Yeah, I do, because... One, I think his team is in a more competitive position. Mm-hmm. I don't. The Bengals have zero chance. They had zero chance of winning the division, and the Chargers are, were never going to win that division with the Chiefs. I'm not saying people had Miami winning the division because people didn't, but the way that New England looks, and the way that Buffalo has kind of looked, Miami does have a chance at this division to win it, and one. We need to see that he can take some hits. Obviously, he hasn't had a chance to prove that. Mm-hmm. They also just totally benched Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was playing pretty well for them. And they're um, and the Dolphins are. Let's see, wh- what's their record? They are three and three right now, and the division winner is five and two. Who's Buffalo? But Buffalo plays New England this coming week. So if Buffalo loses to go five and three, and Miami wins to go four and three, they're they're in this right. They're on a two-game win streak, yeah. obviously, with Fitzpatrick, and they just benched him to go to Tua. I'm as big of a Tua fan as there, as it comes. I went to Alabama. He went to Alabama. I'm a lefty. He's a lefty. <laughs> I don't think he should be playing. And it's really? not injury-related. It's not. I do not think Fitz should have been benched. I, I don't I don't get that. I, I, I think you ride out Fitz to see what he can do. This team has a chance to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Throwing Tua in there now, you still have a chance, but now it's it's unknown. We don't know what he's going to do. Usually with a rookie quarterback compared to a seasoned veteran with Fitzpatrick, you know in that first quarter if Fitzpatrick's going to have his day or not. Most of the time, he's, he keeps them in the game. Tua could have three good quarters and collapse. You just don't know with rookie quarterbacks. There's the unknown factor. I thought they should have kept Fitz in. I think there's more pressure on Tua because in the first six picks, Burrow went one, Tua went five, Herbert went six. Well, those two quarterbacks, Herbert and Burrow, 
have shown that they belong in this league. If Tua, for the rest of the season, struggles, there is a lot of, he's obvious he's set in stone the starting quarterback next year, no doubt about it. But I think if he doesn't show for the rest of the year that he belongs like Herbert and Burrow do, does, I think it adds the pressure for the next season. This Dolphins team is not bad. They're they're pretty good. I love their coach. They're what heading the in the defense. right direction. Yeah, they're heading in the right direction. You can't take a step back. And by going on a two-game win streak and replacing that quarterback, there is a chance they take a step back. That's my point of view, Anna. What's yours? Hey, I'm actually glad, Ben, that you have the opposite point of view for me because, look, I look at it this way. You can't ignore the three losses you have were all because Ryan Fitzpatrick didn't really show up and played bad. Also, too, even though you beat the Jets, he still threw two interceptions, and I personally didn't think he looked that great. I also think, too, it was kind of a set-in-stone thing that Tua would be the starting quarterback after the bye week. I really think that yeah. they had already kind of you know decided that, that they were going to start him. Um, I personally think that... It's the right decision. I think Tua's ready. Look, coming out of this draft, I thought Tua was going to be the best player out of this draft class. I'm not even going to lie. I thought that he was going to be better. I mean, think about it. Tua, besides the fact he got injured in college, I mean, the only time he ever played bad in any game was because he was hurt. When Tua was 100% healthy, we forget that we were anointing him as, like, God's gift to this earth. That's how good he was playing when he was healthy. I personally think Tua is going to be comfortable. I think he's ready. I think he knows it's his time. I think he's the given talent like that. I mean, you know as well as anyone you watched him play at Alabama. I personally think they made the right decision here, and I think he's going to make their offense way more dynamic, and he's going to make way more plays here. And, you know, honestly, I don't really hate necessarily betting a future bet on the Dolphins to win this division. I, th I mean, the Buffalo's fumbling the last couple weeks. I thought Buffalo's really good. I'm not going to sell my Buffalo stock. I think they've had – some tough things fall their way the last couple weeks, but I think they're getting healthy at the right time. But this Dolphins team absolutely has a chance. I mean, there's three wild card spots. This Dolphins team is going to have a chance. I mean, you got easy games against the Jets and the Patriots the rest of the way out. I really like the decision. I, here I, by, still, I don't. I still don't consider the Patriots an easy game. Really? I see. I think yeah, that. Yeah, I, I don't. I it's, think it's, if the. It's not easy. I don't know. I think that there's really just no. I really just think that there's no like talent on this roster i mean when you go look back i was listening to bill simmons podcast yesterday he was naming off all the players they've drafted in the first and second round pretty much like maybe two out of like the 18 guys they drafted in those two rounds over probably the last eight nine years have been anything in the nfl they've been whiffing on all these draft picks they had all these guys opt out because of covid i really think that honestly that bill belichick in the first couple weeks made up for the fact that they didn't have them but with the way cam newton's plays dropped off I think this Patriots team is pretty bad, honestly. I mean, but at the same time, you are right. It is the Patriots. It's not necessarily going to be an easy, easy win. But I think the Dolphins are in a good situation right here. And personally, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick's always been inconsistent in his career. I think you have a better chance rolling the dice here with Tua to come in and play like the Tua of Alabama than you do risking it on Ryan Fitzpatrick getting into the playoffs. I think if you do it with Ryan Fitzpatrick, you'll probably end up 7-9. and nine. With Tua, you have a chance to end up 9-7. and seven. Because at the end of the day, Ryan Fitzpatrick, if you, and if you go through and you break down year by year when he plays quarterback, he'll play like two or three games in a row where you'll be like, wow, this guy's might be our franchise QB. Then he'll play two or three games in a row and you'll be like, wait, why is this guy even on our team right now? You know, he's just, that's just how Ryan Fitzpatrick is. He's a gunslinger. I think the Dolphins made the right decision. And honestly, I that's going to be on my main TV on Sundays, watching Tua, Tua time and him down in Miami. I'm ready for it. I mean, I think if you are going to bring him in, then it's the perfect week to do it. You know, it's two weeks of preparation, so. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. I think it was kind of already a set-in-stone thing, unless, like, Fitzpatrick had you, like, 5-0 and or something like that. But I just think with the way Fitzpatrick has played and is playing that it's the right thing to do. But anyway, Ben, let's get down here to our last topic. And that's right, guys. We had the Big Ten back in action in college football. Y'all knew we couldn't get through this whole podcast without talking about college football. Let's do this thing. So the first thing that we have to talk about here is the big-time loss for Penn State. Um, I mean, a lot of controversy around that. Do you think they got that two-point conversion? I still can't tell. It <laughs> I is, can't either. It's so close. I mean, so here's the thing. For any, I, I'm sure most of the people listening do know this rule, but just in case anyone doesn't, if the ball touches the pylon, it's a touchdown. The pylon is inbounds. It's all you have to do is touch it. The pylon moved. I don't know if the ball hit the ground first. I can't tell. Regardless of that, 
another week, another loss for Penn State comes down to the fact that James Franklin cannot game manage in a big game. He is a great recruiter, and I think he's a good coach. But he just does not win very many big games. He just doesn't. He's beaten Ohio State. They won off a blocked field goal and ran it mm-hmm. back. I don't know how much the coach deserves the credit on a blocked field goal. I think they've only beaten them once, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's correct. The other time was that Haskins game when they came back, when Ohio State came back in the fourth quarter and barely won. I just, they have a good, I mean, they, they have a great chance to beat Ohio State. It's at home. I know, I don't know what the fan situation is going to be like. I know that Penn State just lost Noah Kane, their running back. I think he's going to be out for the year now. It's just another chance for James Franklin to win a big game, and I don't see it happening. That Indiana's good. They were your sleeper team. That's a tremendous pick. Appreciate it. Yes, it was controversial, but James Franklin just doesn't win many big games. He just doesn't. Yeah, and you know, thinking back on it even more, I think about that collapse against USC and Sam Darnold, basically the game that made Sam Darnold the high draft pick that he was in that, uh, I believe it was the Rose Bowl. I mean, that's another one where he just flat out blew it and did not come through at all for them right there. Um, you know, I, I'm i going to have to agree with you on this one, Ben. I mean, I think it's a big-time loss now because, I mean, if Ohio State loses, they're not going to be able to say, oh, well, we went into Penn State and beat them. You know, I mean, that's definitely a big-time blemish on Penn State's record. I think that hurt the Big Ten a lot in general by them losing that game. But, you know, there's a lot of controversy going on in the Big Ten, and me and Ben have some beef with the rules. So quarterback, is it, is, is it Graham Mertz? Is that his first name, Graham? Graham Hurts, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he is the quarterback for Wisconsin. He was the highest recruit in the history of the program. Absolutely balled out on Illinois on Friday night in without quarterback uh, Cone being in there. Now he gets tested positive for COVID. He's gone for 21 days. I mean, is this not the most ridiculous rule in sports? I don't know where this came up with. So no other conference has 21 days that I know of. I don't think the CDC even has a 21-day recommendation for quarantining. I believe it's like 10 to 15 days. Yeah. So because the Big Ten has 21-day protocol, it's that's some easy math right there. That means he's missing three games. There's three games, Wisconsin. They play this week. They play um, at Nebraska, who is 0-1, but did, I mean, they played Ohio State, and they didn't look horrible. Then they go uh, sorry. Then they're home against Purdue, just got a big win without their coach, and then they play at Michigan, who looked great against Minnesota in Week One. This is disastrous for Wisconsin, and I don't know when Jack Cohn, the original starting quarterback, is mm-hmm. supposed to be back. If he's out for these three weeks, you might as I think you can might as well call the season over with for the Badgers. Unless they go 3-0, and and it's two road games, I think it's unlikely to see them go 3-0. and I, I mean, because if they get one loss, let's say they win – let's say they go 2-1 and one without this, or with this stretch, without their quarterbacks. Even if they play Ohio State or whoever they play in the Big Ten, I don't see them winning. So I think they have to go 3-0. and And I just don't see that happening. This 21-day rule, I don't want to call it stupid. I – I think calling it stupid is wrong and foolish um, when we're talking about a disease that's you know harmed as, as many people around the world as it is. I would just like to know the reason why it is 21 days when every other conference doesn't have it for 21 days. That's all I think we need to know. If they have a good reason for it, you know, I think you and I's opinion will change. But 21 days seems like it's uh pretty steep i mean i i know Very plenty steep. of people yeah i know plenty of people that have uh tested positive and same two weeks two weeks later they've been fine this is an athlete at a d1 school where testing is enhanced and more often i think 21 days is just outrageous yeah, I agree with you completely. I mean, 21 days outrageous, and I'm I'm in the agreement with you as well. I don't think Wisconsin can weather the storm with that third-string QB in there. I don't even is know this, what it is. Is this something that they could – like if they test 
if they if they test their athletes every day, let's say he has two three tests that come up negative, are they allowed? Uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Are they allowed to like say, hey, he's healthy? Do we have to wait out 15 more days or like whatever? You know what I mean? Are they allowed? Is it, is it 21 no, days set in stone? Yeah, I honestly have no idea on that. And even the crazier thing it brings to mind is imagine if Justin Fields tests positive. Do you really think they're gonna let Justin Fields sit out for 21 days and have Ohio State lose? Like, no. Like the Big Ten came back <laughs> to play football because of Ohio State and Justin Fields, and because they want to get in that Final Four. I mean, if that happens, I could definitely see them maybe making a change in the rule on the fly, but I'm in agreement with you once again, Ben. It's a totally weird situation. But that shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't be just because Justin Fields is a bigger name and is the best player in the conference, really the only shot that this conference has to get in the playoff. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be him getting an advantage compared to others. So I would honestly be pretty pissed off. It, it, I think you would have a lot of coaches have a lot of problems. If a big-time player uh, tested positive and he doesn't have to wait 21 days, that's you can't you can't play favorites. Not at all. So, I mean, let's talk about Purdue real quick. Yeah, how um, did they how did they pull that one off? With, without their coach, and I don't know what's happening with Rondell Moore, but I don't know if he's playing this year. He opted back in, but it doesn't sound good based off the coach's comments that were today. That's a tremendous win, and that's a horrible loss for Iowa. Um, Iowa is, you know, they're always, for their side of the Big Ten, they're always a contender. Um, losing to unranked Purdue, you can cancel their season. There's there's just no reason for them to even play football anymore. They're, they're not, I mean, they, they're going to go to like the tax slayer gator bowl whatever like they have no shot at a big time bowl so there's that and then minnesota who you and i were both very high on not even like we weren't like low on michigan necessarily we were just high on on uh minnesota and they laid an egg i mean we you and i talked about the defense is not great but they were worse than i thought that they were going to be um Michigan, I talk about this, you know, almost every year. Michigan's defensive coordinator, Don Brown, is still one of the best in the country. He's always been up there. And they always have a linebacker that just plays out of his mind for a season. I think his name is Michael Barnett this year. He's going to be a guy to watch. He was all over the field against Minnesota. And you got to like what you saw from Joe Milton. Um, I believe, was that his, that was or was not his first start? I'm not sure on that one, but I mean, he looks good. He's he's a lot bigger than I was expecting to be, and he's he was good in the open field too, running the ball. I yeah, I mean, he looks like he's going to be just fine. I know it's week one, so I don't want to overreact, but he looks like he's going to be just fine. Um, Minnesota, though, I'm I'm pretty disappointed in how PJ Flex team came out week one at home in a ranked matchup. Just that game wasn't really close. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely not. I mean, I would say the Big Ten, honestly, it was a wild first week. I mean, obviously, we got kind of what we expected from the Ohio States and Wisconsin's, but, I mean, the Penn State loss, like, a lot of these teams had no, kind of no-showed. Honestly, did you see the score of the Northwestern game? I mean, they absolutely annihilated Maryland. Yeah, I mean, I didn't watch any of the game, but I did see the score. It's it's It was just all over the place, kind of. I mean, it was week one. Let's see if we can get a little bit more consistency. I mean, I don't want to overreact after week one, but the only team that matters at this point is Ohio State. I guess Michigan, but do we really think Michigan's going to be undefeated by the time they play Ohio State? Probably not. I mean, I guess if if Penn State can beat Ohio State this week, it shakes everything up. Yeah, Penn State beats Ohio State this week. I don't think the Big Ten even gets a representative in the College Football Final Four, but... To be honest, unless Michigan, see... unless Michigan takes it, yeah. So I'm not 100 percent sure on this. I searched Google for a good bit while we've been on here. I can't find anything specific about Penn State not letting in fans, but there's no tickets available for the game on Vivid Seats. So that probably means that they're not letting fans in. And also, too, breaking news that came out while we were on here: Kylan Hill will not pl- is not expected to play again this season. So 
He's he's done for the season for wow. Mississippi State as well. Yeah. So I saw I saw earlier when a report of that came out, he said that's news to me. So I guess the fact that it's breaking news, it it's it's official. Yeah, it's reported um, it was on ESPN. So okay, well, I mean, they weren't going to beat Alabama this week anyway, but um, <laughs> that's a that's a player who um, had had a very good career um, on the field, and I think off the field he had more of an impact. What that man did this off season in a state like that. Um, is pretty incredible to see. Mm-hmm. He basically was talking to the state government and said, if we don't change the flag, if we don't change our ways, I'm not playing football. That's the biggest moneymaker Mississippi State has. Mm-hmm. He's their best player. They acted immediately when he spoke out. I think it was tremendous that he uh, was able to accomplish that, specifically in a state like that, which... um. You know, I don't really, I don't want to get into it. I don't have to get into it. We kind of know what that state can bring sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, they don't give statues out, but that's a guy that's going to be remembered forever in Starkville. No, absolutely. He's going to go on and have a great career in the NFL, and he proved it this year with how he had a 15-catch game against Kentucky and an 8-catch for a 150-yard game for touchdowns at LSU. He definitely is a state hero. He's kind of like a Miles Sanders type guy. A little smaller, but... Hey, I see Kamara, honestly, but both are great comparisons and everything. Unfortunately, Ben, I know we could both go on for hours longer. We have hit our hour mark, so it's high time we get up out of here, but once again, Ben, I appreciate you coming on and, and uh, breaking everything down with me once again. Yeah, it's always fun, man. Hey, it's always a good time when we get together. Y'all know that we can't stop talking, so... We'll leave y'all with this, but appreciate everyone who tuned in. Got an NBA podcast coming out tomorrow, Friday, obviously. We got all the biggest matchups for y'all broken down. We're going to do better than we did this last week, I promise. But till then, we'll see y'all.